is apologize. Mike mentioned in his communion meditation that something about hiring a guy to share for an hour each Sunday. And so I realized the last seven years I've been shortchanging you. Um, and so I'm sorry, and I'll make up for that. And uh, well, thank you, Mike, for, for pointing. No, in all seriousness, thank you for your kind words, Mike. And I hope that what you said is certainly true, that it's never me up here talking, but, but hopefully God's word speaking through me. So um, I had a different college experience than I would uh, suspect most of you had. I went to a Bible college, a Lincoln Christian college at that time. Now it's Lincoln Christian University. And uh, so we did things, of course, a little different and had some requirements on us that were a little bit different. And uh, one of the things that was unique about Bible college is one of the requirements of being there was that you had to be involved in, a, in an SFG, a spiritual formation group. And it was a group, a small group of people that met uh, each week, and it was, you know, you could do a Bible study or just some accountability or whatever it was. And so I think it was probably sophomore, maybe even junior year, uh, we had a really tight-knit group of friends. We were friends, still friends to this day, and we all signed up for the same group, and it was just us. And the leader of our group, it was a faculty-led group, and the leader of our group was a guy who actually lived in our residence hall, and there was an apartment there, and so he was kind of responsible for that for that residence hall. And so we knew him really well, really respected him. We were really excited about having this tight-knit group uh, with this guy leading it. Well, right before it started, he called us and he said, hey, I've got a couple guys who really want to be in my group. And he said, I know you guys are close, you know, but is it okay if these two extra guys join up with our group? And I, you know, we were all kind of hesitant. We were really looking forward to having this nice tight-knit group, but we didn't want to turn anybody away. So we said, yeah, sure, that's no problem. Let them, let them come to our group. So the first meeting that we had, um, we kind of had a lesson, and at the very end, uh, his name was Brian, the faculty leader, said, uh, I want to do this exercise with you. And uh, he said, I want you to go around to each person. I want each of you to grab each other's hands. So already we're like, okay, I'm out. This is weird. Um, so he's like, grab each other's hands and uh, look in each other's eyes. So strike two. And uh, I want you guys to say, I trust you, or I don't trust you. And I'm like immediately like, this is a horrible idea. Like, what good could possibly come from this? Uh, but we're like, whatever. So we go around and we start looking at each other. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Well, everybody says they trust, and I might even fibbed a little bit because I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. There were a couple guys I didn't know very well, but I still thought, well, I'll go out on a limb and I'll say that I trust them. And uh, it got down to the leader and this other other guy that was part of our group, and he looked him in the eye, and we'll just call him, we'll say his name was Ben. He said, Ben, I don't trust you. And that was it. It was, it was the last thing of that group. And so now, like my worst fear had come true. I'm like, oh, like I said, I didn't see any good that can come from this. And now like worst case scenario has happened. We're starting this spiritual formation group knowing that everybody in here trusts one another except the leader doesn't trust one guy in this group. And so it's just kind of a whole, the whole semester had just kind of had a weird vibe to it. And I just thought, I, I just thought that, that, was, that was one of the weirdest, funniest things. Well, I guess it wasn't that funny, but... Weirdest things that happened while I was there, but we're talking about this series called uh, Generous, 
And uh, this series really has three parts. I haven't really talked about this, but as I sat down to kind of map this out, originally we thought this was going to be like a three or four week series, but as I really sat down with it, it was really kind of hard to limit uh, what we were going to talk about. And I really think that generosity, this series has three parts. The first is why we give, and that's kind of what we've been talking about these last several weeks, our motivation for being generous with what we have. That's what we're talking about now. So why we give, then we're going to move into what we give, and then finally we're going to move into how we give. That's kind of like the three big pictures of this series. But we've been talking about love. We talked about love last week because love is at the center of generosity. We talked about this passage where we learned that, you know, Jesus died for us. That's our motivation for being generous. You know, we, didn't, we don't deserve that. And some people don't deserve our generosity, but we still give it anyways because that's the example that Jesus has given to us. So we talked about love, how true love is willing to die, but love without action is dead. That's what the Bible says. Love without action, you can claim to love someone, but until you actually live it out with deeds, it's just words. So love is at the center of generosity. God showed his love to us by sending his son for us. That's what motivates us to love other people. But if generosity were like a recipe, I think love would certainly be the main ingredient. But there are some other ingredients that make generosity what it is. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about trust. We'll talk about faith. We're going to kind of use those words interchangeably today. But the fact is you can love someone and not trust them. Just like in that group, I have no doubt that my small group leader loved that guy that was in our group, that he cared deeply for him. I mean, he wanted him in our group, right? But he didn't trust him. And sometimes that's the case. We don't necessarily trust people even though we love them. I love my kids. But if it involves water, even if they promise that they're going to clean up their mess, I don't trust them. I know it's a bad idea. I know that it's not going to end well. If they play with water, there is going to be a mess. I don't trust them when it comes to water. They're going to make a mess. Um, In ministry, there's a lot of people I love. I believe God has called me to love everyone, but there's a lot of people I don't trust. Who loves? I mean, I think we probably, if we're being honest, we don't love anybody more than we love ourselves, right? But I don't trust myself with a lot of things, right? There are certain things I know that I don't need to be anywhere near that. That is not a good idea. I don't even trust myself. But you might be asking, what does trust have to do with generosity? Are we only to show generosity to the people that we can trust? I don't think generosity, I don't think trust has anything to do with the object of our generosity. I don't think we have to be able to trust the people that we're trying to be generous to. But I think in order for us to be generous, We have to trust God. We don't have to trust other people to be giving to them, but we do have to place our trust in God. Generosity is dependent on that. If you do not trust God, your generosity is going to be non-existent. So this is the truth I want you to hear today, that our faith in a generous God is embodied by our own generosity. Our faith in a generous God is embodied by our own generosity. Now, sometimes we tend to think that generosity is all about giving stuff to other people. And realistically, that's usually what happens. When we're talking about being generous, we are talking about giving stuff to other people. That's the outcome. But where does generosity start? Well, it starts inside. It starts in the heart. It starts with a proper perspective. And generosity, like we talked about last week, it always assumes sacrifice. When we are generous, it always assumes that, there is, that it's going to cost something of us. So today we're going to talk about a man who is willing to give up anything, sacrifice anything, to be faithful to God. His name is Abraham. And today we're going to be in the chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. 
And you might be saying, you know, wait a second, I thought Abraham was a story from the Old Testament, and it is. But this passage of Scripture, Hebrews 11, is what a lot of people call the hall of faith. In other words, it's a, it's a chapter dedicated to uh, extraordinary people, people, actually ordinary people, really, but they had extraordinary faith. That was what set them apart. They did something big for God. They risked it all to be faithful to him. And I wish we could talk about every single person that's mentioned in this chapter, but honestly, you could probably dedicate a whole series to this chapter. It is a loaded chapter, and so for your sake, even though Mike told me I had an hour, for your sake, um, we are going to just talk about one. We're just going to talk about Abraham. And we're going to skip around a little bit just to warn you, okay? So you're going to, I'll try to let you know if I'm going to skip around. And I'm not trying to skip over anything, uh, only just for the sake of time. That's it. So make sure you read this on your own. Make sure I didn't miss something important. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and the first section we're going to read is verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to skip, uh, skip down to verse 6. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and then verse 6. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered, there's Abel, I don't know if I've ever talked about Abel more than I have during this series, I don't know why he keeps coming up, but by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through faith, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Skipping down to verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but we are living in a very fact-driven society. Have you noticed that? People love their facts. My kids, they always come up to me, hey, Dad, can I Google this? Can I Google this question? I've got some random, how fast can an eagle fly? You know, things like that. People want to know facts, and we have knowledge like at our fingertips now. We, we know more facts, I think, than ever before. Research suggests that kids know more facts than ever before. But when it comes to actually applying knowledge, that's wavering a little bit. We don't have the same ability to, uh, to think and a problem solve like we used to. It's like the difference between using a map and GPS. Using a map requires certain knowledge and, and certain application. Uh, GPS, you just follow where it goes. If you only use a GPS, eventually you'll probably lose the, the desire or maybe even the ability to, to use a map. Now, I'm one of those people, I don't care. If you use a map or a GPS, who cares? Whatever works. But when it comes to other areas of knowledge, it's kind of a drawback. I, I want, I'm saying I'm using this whole GPS map thing as an illustration. When it comes to our ability sometimes to think about things and to problem solve, uh, that's when we get into trouble. You see, the problem with knowing a bunch of facts is that not everything in this universe can be explained. Not, everybody, not everything in this universe can be observed. And so faith picks up where knowledge leaves off. He says here, it's the assurance of things hoped for. Now, normally, we wouldn't put those two things together in the same sentence, assurance and hope, right? A lot of times when we think of hope, it's just kind of this pie in the sky, man, I really hope, that, I really hope the Cardinals win, or, or um, I really hope you know, Kevin doesn't break my neck for wishing that the Cardinals win, you know, something like that. Um, it's, it's like we don't think it's really going to happen, but we hope it will. 
But that's not this kind of hope. We're talking about a certain kind of hope. We're talking about a, a promise that God makes, and we have a certain, a, a sure hope that he is going to make good on his promise. That's what faith is. We know God, and we know that he's faithful. We know that he's going to come through. Also, he says, it's also the, faith is also the conviction of things not seen. We have a natural aversion to faith, don't we? We like to observe things. We like to see things with our own eyes. We want to be able to touch things. We want to observe things, but there are certain things in this world that are not observable. And that's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us to step out on faith, to believe in something we cannot see, something that we cannot sense. Creation, he mentions this as one of those things. Creation is just mind-boggling, is it? Isn't it? To think about the universe that has been created. It, it's mind-boggling to think that something came from nothing. At least that's how our minds work. But when's the last time you heard a more rational explanation for how this world exists? I mean, it doesn't matter what belief system you have. It all comes back to the same problem. How did something come from nothing? That kind of seems to be the problem, the main problem. Now, can I explain to you how God existed from the beginning? I can't do that. I don't know of anybody that can. Can we understand all of creation? No, we can't. But we have faith. We have faith that God spoke, and it was. But I want you to think of faith or belief like a train. You know, you think about riding a train, and there's stops along the way. And you can choose to continue to go on, or you can get off there and say, No, I think I'll end my trip here. And I think that's kind of how faith and belief are. There are certain things that as we're going along, you might decide, you know what, I, I, I can't believe that. And you have the option to sort of get off the train. That's where your faith ends. Now, I hope you never get off that train. I hope you ride it till the, it's a never-ending train ride. I hope it never comes to an end. But I'm telling you that there are certain things along the way that cause you to stop and think, do I really believe this? And that's a question you're going to have to ask yourself. It says, faith starts with believing what we can't see. And if we don't have faith, then you can't move on any further in your journey with God. So what do we have to believe about God? Well, it says it right here that he created the world and that he rewards those who seek him. And when it comes to generosity, that's a really important thing for us to understand about God, that he rewards those who seek him. You see, there's a lot of people out there that talk about God like he's just waiting for the opportunity to smite us. He's just waiting for the opportunity for us to screw up so that he can punish us. And, and, you know, people bring up things that happen in the Old Testament. And don't get me wrong, as you look through the Old Testament, there are some things. We see God's wrath. You think about, um, about Ananias and Sapphira who lied and they were struck dead right there in the New Testament. Um, we think about stories like that. And, and God does some scary things, things that we don't understand. But God's plan for us is always restoration. God's plan is always redemption. God always has the best in mind for his people. It says here that he rewards those who seek him. That's one of the things that you and I have to believe about God, that he's good, that he wants what's best for you, and that's going to dictate your generosity. But as we look through, and I don't know how many people are familiar with this passage. If you're not, I'd encourage you to read it on your own today uh, as we leave this place. But Hebrews chapter 11, it lists out all these people that had incredible faith. And it's kind of an eclectic group. Starts, you know, one of the guys mentioned in there was Abel. Abel was murdered. 
another person on the list is a murderer. Moses, he's listed there. Another person that's listed a prostitute. I mean, this is an eclectic group, but all these people had one thing in common. It wasn't their moral compass. It wasn't their success. It wasn't how many churches they planted. They had incredible faith in God. They risk it all to follow him. That's what they had in common. So let's continue on with this chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll read just a couple, uh, few verses here, uh, verses 8 through 10. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And as he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went out to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs Heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. See, the story of Abraham is actually found in Genesis 12. And the story of Abraham kind of seemingly comes out of nowhere. And when we have the flood, and uh, we have Noah and just his family, and they start repopulating the earth. And then we have the story about the Tower of Babel where they begin to, the earth was already populated by this time, so a lot of time has passed. They begin to build this tower up to the skies, and God confuses their language, and they spread out. And then the story of Abraham comes right after that. And we really don't hear a whole lot between this time period of the Tower of Babel and Abraham. Now, certainly God was at work, but we don't, there's, there's no stories about what was happening or God speaking to people. So seemingly out of nowhere... God speaks to Abraham, and you know what he says to him? Abraham, I want you to leave everything behind. I want you to pack up and move. He says that God speaks just like he spoke at creation, and the world was. He speaks to Abraham, and Abraham does what he says. Abraham, listen, he left everything behind to go to a place completely unknown. That was the thing. It's not like God said, I want you to go to this place, he didn't even say that. He just said, I want you to go to the place that I'm going to show you. That's all he said. He didn't even give him a specific destination. He just said, I'll tell you what it's like when you get there. Abraham did it because he believed in a generous God. He believed that God was going to make good on his promise. You know, this is a place in faith where a lot of people would choose to kind of get off the train, right? Like, I'm okay saying that I believe, but actually doing it, that's a little bit, that's a little bit different. People are okay saying they believe in God, but faith, it requires obedience. Um, I'm, this is, I hope this doesn't offend anybody. Yesterday I was out at camp. You guys did a great job at the open house yesterday. One thing I noticed, they had these things that were in the baskets, and I noticed a hat that said, I'm a Christian on it, and a T-shirt that said, I'm a Christian. And I chuckled a little bit. I said, well, if you have to wear a hat or wear a T-shirt to tell people, um, there's probably some work that needs to be done. But I understand why we have things like that. It's to be bold, to say, this is who I am. And I understand that. We need that in the world. But it's, it's, you can't just wear a hat or wear a T-shirt and say, okay, I'm a Christian. There's some obedience that goes along with it. That's what it says in this passage here, that it's not enough to just say you believe, but you have to follow the path of obedience as well. There has to be some action. Just like if you think about the New Testament, Peter's in the boat. And they see Jesus, and he says, okay, if it's really you, let me come out on the water. And Jesus says, okay, come on. Can you imagine that first step? You think he put just like his toe in to test it out? I'm guessing he probably did. But eventually he took the first step, but then he looked away from Jesus. He began to look at the waves, and he began to sink. But he did, for a brief moment, walk on water. But can you imagine that first step? He wouldn't have taken that first step if he didn't believe. 
He said he believed, and he followed it up with action. I've used this illustration enough, so I'm going to give you the abbreviated version because I know there's a lot of people in here that have not been part of this church since I shared this last. So this is just an abbreviated version, but uh, Francis Chan gives a really good illustration about what it means to really believe. And he talks about this story uh, where he had a red balloon and a BB gun one day, and he brought it up on stage. And he said, how many of you believe that I can pop this balloon with this BB gun? And he said, most of the congregation, everybody there raised their hand. He said, okay, uh, how many of you believe that I could pop this balloon with one shot? He said, about half the congregation kept their hand up. He said, okay, how many of you believe it enough that you'd be willing to hold it in your hand while I shoot it? He said, a surprising number of people still had their hands up. So he said, okay, how many of you believe enough that I can pop this balloon with one shot that you'd be willing to hold the balloon in your teeth while I shoot it out of here? And uh, he was actually sharing this as an example of like things not to do, like stupid things he had done in ministry, because the plan was the whole time just to fake it, but he eventually ended up doing it. And his elders said, don't ever do anything like that again. But anyways, um, his point was this. Everybody said they believed, right? Oh, yeah, we believe you can pop the balloon. But only one person was willing to hold that balloon in his teeth. So what does it really mean to believe? We can say we believe all we want, Belief has to be in conjunction with some sort of action. Now, some people, they'll just jump right out of the boat when it fits them, when it suits them. Have you noticed that? Have you ever heard people talk this way when it comes to, let's say, they're starting a new business? Well, I'm just going to have faith. God's going to work it out. Now, nothing wrong with that as long as God is the one driving that. But so many times it seems to be people that it's their desire. They're just hoping God's going to back them up. So, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the leap of faith. Or maybe they're talking about quitting their job. Or maybe they're talking about taking a relationship to the next level of commitment. You know, and I'm just going to jump in with both feet. Now, again, God may call you to do those things. And we need to follow. But I'm saying it. sometimes people seem to have this uh, willingness to, to have a lot of faith whenever it comes to something that they want to do is what I'm saying. So I guess what I'm saying is there's a difference between a leap of faith and a blind leap. Those are two separate things. Our leap of faith needs to be motivated not by what we want to do, but what God is calling us to do. And sometimes what God calls us to do is not very comfortable. We come to, I think, the hardest part of this story, Hebrews chapter, I don't think, I know, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. I don't know how familiar, familiar you are with this story, but what happens is God made a promise to Abraham. That's why Abraham was faithful to him. He said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Abraham was an old man, didn't have any kids, but he said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He had to wait a couple decades for God to make good on his promise, and God finally gave him a son, and his name was Isaac. But then the most difficult part, I think maybe the hardest passage of all the Bible, if I could tear out one story, uh, if I'm being honest here, this would be one I'd rather not talk about, but also it's one of the best stories. So it's, it's one of those hard things. But God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, and I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And that's a hard thing to talk about, isn't it? I mean, here he had waited, but it says here that Abraham, the reason why he was willing to do it, he didn't do it. God provided for him. 
But he was willing to do it because he knew that God would even raise him from the dead if he had to. He, he just believed in God enough that he was going to make good on his promise. And can you remember, I mean, it's a gut-wrenching story if you've ever read it. Abraham says to Isaac, hey, we're going on a trip. We're going to go offer a sacrifice. And I, I'm kind of picturing this whole, all right, you know, father-son kind of a trip. I don't know if that's really how it was, but that's how I picture it, this father-son trip. And can you imagine Isaac being so excited to spend some time with his dad and Abraham just being like this, having this pit in his stomach? And then they pack everything up. And then do you remember the part in the story where Isaac says to, to his dad, hey, dad, we got everything except I think we forgot the sacrifice. I mean, imagine hearing that as Abraham, and, and what does Abraham say to him? God's going to provide. And he does, doesn't he? He's getting ready to raise the knife to be faithful to what God has told him to do, and all of a sudden he hears a rustle in a bush, and there's a ram, and he offers that instead. But man, I've got to be honest. I mean, do you have that kind of faith? I, I hope I do. But that's a really hard thing. I can't imagine anything harder than that. Let's be honest. But he's faithful to that. So people, they talk about the will of God and following his will and being led by him. But have you ever noticed that for a lot of people, it seems very convenient? Like I heard this story. You heard about this mega church pastor. He already has, I think he has, a, I think he has three private jets or maybe four. I can't remember. He already has like three private jets at least. But he wants a new private jet and the cost is $54 million. So you know what he did? He got on... Uh, got on stage and he said, God wants me to buy a $54 million jet, and he told me that he wants you to pay for it, which brings up something. I've been really needing uh, no, just I'm just kidding. And that's ridiculous, but have you ever noticed that people that claim to follow the will of God sometimes seems awfully convenient for them, doesn't it? That stands in contrast with the story of Abraham, doesn't it? Sometimes following God's will calls us to do something that is very uncomfortable. That's beyond uncomfortable. And we think, how could Abraham do that? How could he do that? Hebrews 11.10 says it. He says, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He trusted the creator of the universe. He knew that God had something in store for him. Abraham believed in a generous God. He had faith. He trusted that God had something better on the other side. You see, faith desires not our will, but the will of God. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 says this, He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. We need to understand that when we read this passage, it isn't talking about all the things that you want to do. It's talking about the things that God wants to do through you. And when we begin to align ourselves with the will of God, instead of saying, no, God, I want to do this, I want to go this way, and I want you to bless it, when we finally give up on that and say, okay, God, I want to simply do what you want me to do, we begin to be very powerful people. We begin to pray powerful prayers because we aren't contending with God. We're on his side. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get done what he has called us to get done. Let's continue on. Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me, just like it will fail me today to talk about this whole chapter, fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets, 
uh, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, uh, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. This is the good news. Then it goes on to the not-so-great news. Some were tortured, refused to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of earth. And all these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, faith doesn't just involve like a, a few situations. Well, you know, it's only going to affect your church life or your this life. No, I mean, faith is all-encompassing. It, it involves every fiber of your being. When you claim to believe, it, it affects everything. It may affect your family, where you live, what you do for a living. But faith looked different in each of these stories. But did you notice it also had different outcomes? You know, for guys like Abraham and Jacob, they had their uh, challenges, but it worked out pretty well for them, right? I mean, God was just blessed them incredibly, but they didn't have the chance to see that, not all of it. Not only that, but did you notice the second half of that passage, some of the things that were mentioned? Those aren't pleasant things. It talked about people being stoned and sawn in two. They were following the will of God, but it didn't work out for them very well personally. And sometimes, and I want to encourage some of you because I believe that there are some people that are being faithful to God. They're trying their best to be faithful to God, and yet they keep having these challenges. And they think, what am I doing wrong? I must be outside the will of God. Now, we need to pray about that and ask God, God, have I done something? Is there something standing in between me and you? But don't just assume just because you're having challenges that you're living outside the will of God. Take these people, for example. They were persecuted, they were killed for their faith. Just because you have some challenges in your life doesn't mean you're outside of the will of God. God might be calling you to do some really difficult things, but he'll give you the strength to endure, and he promises something better later on. So don't just assume that you're living outside the will of God. We need to pray about that and ask. But another thing is we don't always get to see God's promises come to fruition. Abraham didn't get to see all his descendants, of course. Uh, it continues on. This is the last scripture we'll read. Hebrews eleven twelve through 16. Therefore, from one man and, and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars in heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are, speaking, that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city. You see, people of great faith understand that this is not their home. People of great faith understand that, and they desire a heavenly home, that God had something better beyond this place. Oswald Sanders says it really well this way, Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the invisible as seen. You see, we have a good vantage point, don't we? We've seen God's promises play out over centuries and centuries and centuries. 
up to this point. But these people mentioned here, they, they didn't have that. They hadn't seen God's promises play out. They weren't comfortable. They weren't certain any more than you or I. But they believed that God was faithful. See, faith starts with the belief that God who spoke the world into motion exists. That he hears you. That he sees you. That he loves you. That's where faith begins, believing in that kind of God. But so many people are stuck. They believe in God intellectually, but it's never altered their path. They continue doing just whatever they want to do, hoping that God is going to bless it. They continue plodding down the same path they've marked out for themselves without considering where God has led them to go. And that's one of the most generous things you can do, isn't it? To be focused on God and his will, to ask God, God, what do you want from me? And whatever it is, I will do it, just like Abraham. See, that's where generosity really begins. But we have to believe in a generous God. We have to believe that God is going to bring us through, that God, even though he might not tell us what it is, that God has something better in mind for us. But if God spoke the world into being, if he spoke and Abraham listened, if he said faith can move mountains, I guess the question is, what can he do with you? If we would just have the faith of a mustard seed, what would we be willing to do? What would he be willing to do through us? And we may not like what God has marked out for us personally, but we'll still find joy knowing that God's will is accomplished. That's what it says about Abraham. Abraham didn't get to see everything that had happened. A lot of these people mentioned here didn't get to see the promises of God come to fruition. But they, they were okay with that. They knew God was going to be faithful whether it was in their lifetime or the next. Do we have that kind of faith? So if you are discouraged today, if you are trying to follow the path of God and it is a hard road for you, be encouraged Just like a few weeks ago, remember we laid that rope out and uh, we had this big long rope and we pretended it went on for eternity and there's just a little part of it that was marked with red. You know, so many times we're focused, if that red part of that rope was your life, so many times we focus right there on that itty bitty part. But in the grand scheme of eternity, that doesn't amount that much. We just can't make decisions for our life. We have to consider all of eternity. So if things are a challenge for you, if you're being faithful to God, keep doing it. And God will be faithful to his promises, maybe not in this lifetime, but he has something better on the other side. If he's a generous God, then what doors could God open by you being obedient to him? You see, our faith in a generous God is embodied in our own generosity. In other words, the the measure of your generosity reveals how much you believe that God is generous. And so many times we limit ourselves because we're relying on ourselves for provision. But what, what would it look like for us to turn things over to God? What promises could we tap into if we would simply take a leap of faith? So today, do you believe in a generous God? Do you believe in the creator of the universe that spoke the world into motion? Do you believe in the creator of the universe that simply spoke to Abraham and he listened, that he spoke and he calmed the storms? Do you believe in that kind of a God? And the answer to that question, you can answer it with your mouth, you know, all you want with words, but um, really it comes down to action. What do our actions say about what we believe in God? Do our actions say that we believe in a generous God or not? Let's pray. God, we thank you today. And uh, I hate, hate even saying those words, Lord, because they just seem weak. There's nothing we can say to, to really... Um, 
Thank you for what you've done for us. But, Lord, we believe that you are a generous God. We believe that you did create the heavens and the earth with simply speaking things into existence. Lord, we, we want to put our hope and our trust in you. Lord, sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes we connect with it intellectually, but it's hard to connect our emotion to it, Lord. And, and I know that in order for that to happen, we have to step out in faith. We have to be able to show that we trust you simply by stretching ourselves beyond what we're capable of, by relying on you. So, Lord, give us the strength to reveal to us the, the areas of our life where we need to be stretched beyond our own means, where we need to be generous, where we need to, to trust you with what we have so that you can provide whatever else we need. Lord, reveal those things to us the areas of our life that we need to turn over to you and simply step out in faith and say, okay, God, I'm not in the driver's seat. You are. Reveal those to us, Lord. I pray that every single person in here, if they don't already believe in a generous God, will see that you are, that you exist, and that you are generous, and that you love us, and that you care for us. It's your name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation if you'll stand with me. And uh, I want to remind you as... um, as usual, we have elders here at the church that serve, and uh, I, I want to tell you that they are men that are trying to seek after God, trying to become the men of God that, that God is calling them to be, and uh, they have a desire to serve you. And so today, I just want to let you know that if you've got something weighing on your heart, it could be anything, just something you're worried about, you know, something going on with your family, you're struggling in your, your marriage or with your kids or whatever it is, um, I want to let you know they're going to be in the, the back of the room. If you've got anything you want to pray about, I want you to know that they're available for that. But my encouragement to you is to think about, do you believe what Hebrews 11 says? It says, you need to ask yourself, do you believe in God and that he's good and that he will reward those who seek him? Do you really believe that? And I'm not just saying with your mind, I'm saying with your actions, do your actions show that you trust God, that you believe in a generous God who loves you and is going to provide for you? Are you so tight-fisted with things that you're trusting in your own strength? What do your actions say? And I want to challenge you today, whether you've said you believe in God before or not, I want to challenge you today to think about, do you really believe? Are you willing to follow him in obedience? That's a question we all need to ask. And if you've never put your hope and trust in God and Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. To say, I, I do believe that. I do, I do want to walk the path that God has marked out. I do want to follow Jesus, and I believe that he came to die for me. If that's something that you need to do today, these guys are available to talk to you about that as well. Let's uh, sing this song.